That was a song called Thingamajig. The delectable voice you heard sing it belongs to Mia Folick. She hangs her hat in Los Angeles, California, and her backing musicians are as follows. On the electric piano, Justin Rezan. FX and vocal dubbing by Luke Nicoli. Bass guitar by Thomas Drayton. Grand piano by Dennis Hamm. Cello by Derek Stein. The song that will play out the show is called Premonitions, the title track of Mia's newest album. And the musicians are as follows. 
on the electric piano, drum machine, rhythm guitar programming, Justin Raisin, synths by Yves Rothman and Luke Nicoli, slide guitar and keys by Stuart Bronoff, and drums by Victor Andritzo. Once again, all my thanks to the gifted singer, musician, and dancer Mia Folick. That's spelled M-I-Y-A-F-O-L-I-C-K. Go out and see this special lady sing. You won't be disappointed. Now introducing the host of our show, Mr. Douglas Day. Thank you, Mortimer. Yes, Nigel. You have a call on line eight, sir. Douglas Day. The man with the hat. Yes, it's true. I wore a hat when I was in Oxford. You have another call, sir. Line four, sir. Thank you, Nigel. Douglas Day. Need anything from the shop? Yes, yes. I'd fancy an elderberry tea and a Welsh cake, please. Easy on the sugar. I thought the sugar was the point of a Welsh cake. Quite possibly it is, but if you wouldn't mind... I don't mind at all. You're the customer. I just thought it was the point of a Welsh cake was uh, the sugar. Well, if you wouldn't mind, easy on the sugar. Nigel, Mortimer, Mr. Ross, anything for you from the shop? Ditto for me, Douglas. Double ditto, sir. Mortimer. Triple ditto, daddy-o. Daddy-o. Forgive me a bit of the old slang sometimes slips in. Brings me back to the summer of love. Me and Henrietta skipped out of university and slipped an out of matrimonial bliss and on a prayer and a kiss drove across the continent of North America in a souped-up van, washed up in Northern California, Mendocino County to be precise, spread our wings on a cliff overlooking the awe-inspiring Pacific, constructed a ramshackle shack tucked back from the buffeting winds. Others joined us and built their own abodes. It was, in short, an intentional community... Our primary intention was to promote peace, love, and understanding. For six or seven months, everything went swimmingly. But then some people began ignoring the rules. Yes, well, in particular, there rose insipid chattering during silent mealtimes an obstreperous American named Herringbone. I'll never forget him. Began outlandishly praising the peace. Yes, 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 it was like the poor chap had never popped a pea in his pie hole before. His chattering grew incessant and, to say the very least, disruptive to the group as a whole. He was also less than mindful about where he left his fork. Yes, yes, that's right, Mortimer. Mortimer was there? Yes, yes, that's where Mortimer and I met at the intentional community. And then what happened, Douglas? Others in the order started responding to Herringbone agreeing with him, praising his praising of the peas by God-man. It was a flipping disaster. So what'd you do? I wrote up a petition to save the order from collapsing into the self-destructive vortex of conversation. Our silence was sacred. It allowed us to be fully present with our thoughts and our food. But this faux gourmand had to pop off about the peas at every waking moment. Mindfulness went out the window. Utensils were left lying about in odd places. The sacrosanct silence took a backseat to ceaseless chatter. Ultimately, Henrietta, I, and Mortimer couldn't take it anymore. So one morning, after trying not to listen to Herringbone praise the porridge, the three of us loaded up the van and decamped to Guadalajara, Mexico, where we lived for over three years. That's how we ended up in broadcasting. 
Can you tell me a little bit more about that, uh, Mortimer? W-D-U-B, El Sonido de las Colinas, the sound of the hills. We were in paradise. The university officials gave us free reign. We ran special programs of music, poetry, and drama. Douglas won an award. Yes, yes, but I couldn't have done it without you, Mortimer and Henrietta. So what happened in the end? Well, the UK was calling, Wales in particular. Indeed, but enough about me. Time for some of Nigel Lewis Stevenson's poetry. Thank you, sir. This is a poem by Nigel from his Oxford series, entitled Toxicology Forum, Patient 7 through 9. Patient 7. We could do this, but I'm not sure on a Saturday it would make any difference, any difference at all. True, I hear you. We could do what you were seemingly referring to before. Was what? When you had said that on Sunday, day after maybe, we could go ahead with that procedure you had circumscribed on the notepad that you left on the train when you went to see your mother. Ah, we could do that. Twas risky. Twas. But we could try it nonetheless, because she, he, them, this is not that which it was before, but changes. As we said, almost like the wind, and as constant as the sun and the rain. True. Patient number eight. If you would both put your heads together on this, I am sure we, you, can come up with a notable solution. We are trying. We are trying. What were you trained for? Excuse me, Dr. Mongolia? What were you trained for? Surely not this exact replication of what was going to confound you or astound you as you trained before. We suppose. Suppose nothing, you fools. Do something instead. I want hot water. Yes, sir. I do. I do. Patient number nine. Hi, hi. How are you? I'm fine. I'm happy. I saw a camel the other day. They're not as mean as everyone says they are. This one was one humped. Thank you, Nigel. You're welcome, sir. Mr. Ross, what did you think of Nigel's poetry? I liked it. I, I always liked Nigel's poetry. I especially liked his introduction of the character of Dr. Mongolia. Thank you, sir. Right. Now, Mr. Ross, on to your audio play, The Keeper's House. Anything you'd like to share with us before you plug on? Well, you're going to meet a few new characters, and the central conflict of the play is about to rear its head. Mmm, I see. Well, whenever you're ready, yam on. Act 1, Scene 3, The Keeper's House. January, present day. Morning commuters hurry towards the train platforms. Camera focuses on an orange tabby stationed on the lip of a stone wall adjacent to the upswing of woods. The hungry stray meows plaintively. A disembodied hand places a small plate of stewed mushrooms and chicken gizzards next to the tabby. The cat attacks the vittles voraciously, sits back, and licks its lips. Commuter rushes by on his cell phone. Deal of the century, my friend. Deal of the century. What's that? 18 acres, my friend. Prime real estate hard by the river. Couldn't be more amenable to development. What's that? That's right, I agree. No limits to progress, my friend. No limits to progress. Camera follows the orange tabby back into the woods until it comes to the clearing and the two shanties of the old-timer and Miss Kitty. Above his door hangs a wooden sign with the words Pilgrim's Hut. Above Miss Kitty's door, the sign reads, Ever Rest. Old-timer. Well, who do we have here but the Queen of Wicker Woods? Meow. Miss Kitty. 
Delightful Delilah looks like she's already been fed. You. She has indeed. Mushrooms and gizzards was today's special. She likes her gizzards. First time I've ever seen a cat eat mushrooms. She likes them stewed. Won't eat them raw, why don't you? But put a plate of stewed mushrooms in front of her and she's like a possum eating persimmons. Now's the time we get ready for the winter. Mammy's pickling produce and I'm chopping wood. Is it going to be a rough one? What do you think, Mammy? Are the tips of your toes tip-tapping signals to the end of your nose? Yes, dear. My toes nose were in for snows and temperatures quite low. Just as I suspected. That's why I keep a-hopping at the chopping, my boy. I'm in my 85th year. Ain't that right, Mammy? Yes, dear. And I'm not afraid to die. I've been a gentle user of the land, my friend. Banned the use of plastic from my life in the year of 72. Eschewed carnivorous tendencies in 82. Quit the sauce. In 98, went fully off the grid in 02. And made an honest man of yourself in 2012. That's right. Married Miss Kitty, the love of my life, became my much-needed wife. Yes, sir. Don't let our separate quarters fool you. Some nights we stay together and some nights we stay apart. Seems to work for us, eh, Mammy? So far, so good, dear. Cut scene. A simple wedding ceremony on the knoll overlooking the river. The old-timer and Miss Kitty are dressed in colonial garb, as is Cookie Cropsy, who officiates the ceremony. Faith, Hope, and Charity, the three sisters of the Wicker Woods, bathe the ceremony in song. A bevy of black and gray squirrels line the overhanging oak limb as chittering witnesses of the marital vows. Cut scene. Old-timer. Best decision I ever made in a series of forward-looking decisions that in toto drew me up and away from the road of certain perdition. Yes, sir. It was in 98 that everything came together. It was in 98 that I left the old me behind. I pulled my face off the floor and traipsed through the door of possibility. You get me? You. Uh, I was gifted and lifted my eyes from certain demise to gaze freshly upon the stars and moon in a newly unadulterated manner. On the edge of a dime, my life began to chime the swell tell of a glorious bell that rang out a new day and a new way to approach this grand exam of forbearance, chance, and circumstance. No longer was I enslaved by the dreary cave of poor me, poor me, poor me, another drink. I started to look upon my life as a book, and I decided to abandon the tried and true for the more mysterious ways of sober days. And that, my friend, has made all the difference. You were lucky. You're darn tootin' right I was lucky. Camera person. What was the final straw? The old timer. I'd lain myself down upon the tracks. The bleeding blare of the engineer I came to hear and rolled myself off with mere seconds to spare. Indeed, the rolling Goliath cut my hair. The old timer jerks his head brusquely and his long braided ponytail flips over the front of his right shoulder. Took me three years to grow this baby back. Wow, talk about a close call. Don't get me wrong, Jitterbug. I didn't want to die. I lay down there because I appreciated the, uh, the, uh, the parameters, the narrow corridor bound by two straight lines, connoting a mystical pathway of sorts, a certain geometry of A to B where I could, in my drunken stupor, be transported from here to there and back again indefinitely ad infinitum. I see. But do you really see? He waves his pipe in a long arc out towards the river. There are more than two sides to every coin, comrade. General George Washington was dubbed the Great Persuader, and he was so. But do you know what the first American Iroquois called him? Nope. 
Kanatokarius. Translation, town destroyer or devourer of villages. But on the other hand, they also called him the Great Father. And there were many tribesmen who took his name. Oh yes, we are an ignoble lot of swine on one side, an empty puff of air on the other, and a roiling mess of pure potential in between. Right, Mammy? That's right, dear. Cookie Cropsy will tell you there are no limits to progress as there are no limits to decline. For us, homo sapiens. As if on cue, Cookie Cropsy enters through a break in the hedge of elderberry bushes. Ain't that right, Cookie? All's well that ends well, according to time, place, and circumstance, O great Satchum. Could not, could absolutely not have said it better myself, old friend. What's the news of the day, my yellow fellow? I'm dragging my bones to the wicker woods for my weekly steam bath, comrade. Matty Wampus back from his peregrinations. Affirmative. The old-timer suddenly stands and kisses Miss Kitty on the forehead, before waving you and the camera person on to follow. You pass by the encampment of the three sisters. Their brindled pit bull lady raises her head and issues a desultory bark, but does not rise from her sun-kissed post at the entranceway to the wigwam. Spirals of smoke spool out the top of their dwelling. You picture the three sisters tucked into their cozy confines. You tromp further into the woods until you come to a small arched wigwam covered in animal pelts. Cookie Cropsy and the old-timer peel off their clothes and unfurl the entranceway flap and duck inside. You and the camera person follow suit. Inside, it is dark and steaming hot. Your eyes adjust. Chief Matty Wampus sits cross-legged next to a pile of glowing rocks and stares serenely off into the darkness, bows his head, and intones a series of pungent prayers. You sense a presence behind you. You turn your head slowly. Through the darkness beam the two glowing eyes of the Great Mother. Her head rests atop her century-old body in all of its glory. You solemnly nod to her. She makes no response. You drip sweat. Chief Matty Wampus's incantations plunge you into a trance. You feel the need to chant something of your own, but you don't know what to say. Your ears gather in the Latin gibberish of the old-timer and Cookie Cropsy, and your voice begins to echo them. Quercus rubra acer pseudo platinus quercus alba o great wad woe. O great wad woe acer pseudo platinus quercus alba quercus rubra acer pseudo platinus quercus alba. Suddenly, Silence befalls the cozy cocoon. Visions of your deceased grandmother dance above the glowing stones. An old Dalmatian, a twelve-point buck. Chief Matty Wampus recommences a measured beating of his water drum. Diam pum pum, diam pum pum. Diam pum pum, diam pum pum. A gentle jab underneath your right shoulder blade, compliments of the great mother, jars you out of your reverie. She pulls your shoulder back and pours her ancient voice into the porches of your ear. Only you know what to do, young blood, she whispers. Then, inexplicably, she chants, Asimina triloba, asimina triloba, asimina triloba, asimina triloba. Later, when you get home, 
You looked the phrase up in your tree book. She had been chanting the Latin name for the common pawpaw tree. Camera pans the smoldering rocks, the ten glowing eyes, and the five nodding heads. Camera exits the sweat lodge and tracks the curl of smoke up above the river until it vanishes into the wide expanse of wintry sky. And Act One, Scene Three.